When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. There is a small and quaint village in North Wales. It's situated on the island of Anglesey in the UK, and it's famous for having the longest place name in Britain. It's so long, in fact, that after multiple attempts of trying to pronounce it correctly, I just had to abandon it. It was impossible. I couldn't do it. Here's a clip of somebody else saying the name. Now today we had a big contrast in temperature across the UK, just 12 degrees over coastal parts of eastern England with cloudy skies, but in the sunshine in northwest Wales at RAF Mona, just up the road from Clanbyr Pushwingish the temperature got to 21 Celsius at 70 in Fahrenheit. And so growing up here in the UK, this was the only reason I had ever heard of this village, sometimes known by the much shorter name of Flanvaya, which we'll stick with for now. But in 2001, that village was to become known for something much, much darker, a crime so steeped in Gothic excess and supernatural ambition that the judge would call it incomprehensible. Well, I'm Peter Lawser, and you need to brace yourself for tonight's Frightful as we open the door to a sleepy Welsh village that found itself to be the hunting ground of the Welsh vampire killer. The awful discovery was made at lunchtime on Sunday, November the 25th, 2001, when a Meals on Wheels worker arrived at a house of a lady called Mabel Lation. They were bringing her some hot food, and uh, this carer had become friendly with Mabel, and so popped in most days. But when she docked on the door, there was no answer. Frowning, she looked through the window and saw nothing particularly unusual, but she remembered that Mabel was deaf to an extent, and so perhaps she had just not heard the knock. So, concerned that Mabel may possibly be in trouble, or could have had a fall perhaps, the carer headed round the back of the house. And that's when she realised something was very, very wrong. A large pane of glass in the back patio door had been shattered and there were shards of glass scattered everywhere. But as the carer took a step forward, she saw something that made her freeze in her step. Just next to the broken patio, she saw a single footprint. Clearly someone had been inside the house, but the most frightening part of all was the print was stamped there in blood. Wisely refusing to go inside, she immediately grabbed her phone and called the police, who quickly dispatched two officers to the scene. They headed inside the house and carefully, stepping through the entrance porch, they made their way down the corridor. They heard no sound from inside. 
They did notice, however, little quirky teddy bears that were placed in various rooms, even though there were no children thought to have lived with this 90-year-old woman. Yet something drew them to the living room. I'm not sure what it was exactly, but it may well have been the smell. They went into that room, taking slow and deliberate steps. The television was still running, but the sound was off, and there was an armchair pointing at the screen. And as they started to step around it, they began to see the old lady, with her feet up resting on a footrest. But when they came all the way around, they saw an image that would likely never leave them for the rest of their life. Mabel Lation was lying in the armchair, clearly dead. She was covered in multiple stab wounds, including a shocking, deep and blood-soaked wound in her chest. Her feet were up on the footrest, and under her knees, the police saw a huge pool of thick blood. They dropped lower to take a look to see that the blood had been pouring from deep gashes that had been hacked into the back of her legs just under her knee. Even more bizarre, there was a saucepan sitting on the carpet just next to her legs. Maple Lation also had a coal fireplace, and someone, the intruder, had taken two of her silver pokers and placed them on the carpet in the form of a crucifix. They also found a strange candle on the mantelpiece that seemed out of place. Baffled and disturbed, the two police officers started to cast their eyes around the room, and that's when they saw a silver platter sitting on a chair nearby. And on that platter was a piece of newspaper wrapped around something small but substantial. The officers leaned in and started to gently tug at the paper, teasing each fold back and being careful not to damage what may well be crucial evidence. And the more they pulled back, the clearer it was that whatever was inside was soaking the inner parts of the paper with blood. Finally, the officer tugged back the final sheet of paper and opened it up. And in all their years of police work, they had never encountered a scene like it. Because sitting there amongst the blood-soaked crumpled paper was Mabel Lation's heart. Appalled, the officers stumbled back and looked more closely at Mabel's corpse once again. And the gore-soaked wound in her chest was not a simple stab wound. After all, the closer they looked, the clearer it was. Her chest had been hacked open, and whoever had done this had managed to snap and break her ribcage just wide enough to reach into the cavity and tear her heart out. The police quickly called for backup, and they were under strict instructions not to reveal the extreme nature of the crime to the neighbors. But it was incredibly difficult to disguise that something serious had happened in the house. The neighbors were seeing a steady stream of police officers and pathologists marching in and out of the building. Concerned, one of the neighbors contacted a local newspaper called the Daily Post, and they sent a reporter who arrived on the scene. He started asking questions of the police, and all they could learn was that the body of an elderly woman had been discovered. That afternoon, the police held a press briefing, where they also admitted that they believed the death was suspicious. The following day, a murder inquiry was launched, but again, there were no details released. And yet, there were rumors sweeping through this small community. The Daily Post started to obtain ominous quotes from locals saying things like, If I told you what they had found in the house, you would never believe me. 
Another person put it like this, the devil has been to Anglesey. And so the villagers were getting worried. Might there even be further attacks? Christmas must have been a little darker that year as the police had not caught the killer over the festive period. But then, on the first weekend of 2002, the Daily Post learned of a breakthrough. Someone had been arrested for the crime. And it was a teenager. His name was Matthew Hardman. And it would be during his trial where the horrific and disturbing details of this murder would finally be revealed to the world. But the road to the killing was disturbing and bizarre. And it centered on something that you would normally find in horror gothic fiction. Vampires. When a teenager is accused of a murder of this magnitude, lawyers and investigators often look into the upbringing of the killer to see if there might be some sort of emotional trauma in his life, uh, some sort of abuse perhaps that might have affected his mind. Well, Matthew Hardman was born in Anglesey in 1984 and his upbringing seemed relatively stable. His mum, Julie Hardman, was a nurse and his dad, Paul, was a bricklayer. Matthew was incredibly close to his father, and he seemed to really value the stable home life that he had. And yet his parents separated in the early 1990s, when Matthew was eight years old. His mother, Julie, decided to move out so she could live with her new boyfriend, who was a fireman for the Ministry of Defence. As far as I can discover, Matthew lived with his dad, Paul Hardman, though he did stay at his mum's house occasionally with her new boyfriend. Still, though, despite the emotional wrench of his parents' separation, many teenagers go through a similar experience at that age. In fact, I did. Maybe you did too. And so Matthew didn't seem particularly unhinged by all of this. In fact, he was said to come across as a polite and well-mannered child who seemed to impress the other adults around him. Yet as he grew older, he started to struggle somewhat. He was a very quiet and shy child, and he was said to find social situations challenging. He didn't enjoy mixing with others and did not particularly do well with schoolwork. He was diagnosed with dyslexia at the age of 13. He was given extra tuition for that, and this was a source of shame to him. He was desperately worried that other kids at school would discover that he needed additional help. So he spent most of his time at home, playing video games and listening to music, and in particular reading about art and watching films, horror films especially. Then, tragedy struck when Matthew was around 13 to 14 years old. His dad, Paul, died of a massive asthma attack, and Matthew was devastated. This young boy, who had loved his father so much, was learning that life is not forever, and that death could even whisk our most loved ones away. He must have thought if only it was possible to never die. After the death of his dad, Matthew moved in with his mother. They moved house a few times and then eventually they ended up in the village with the incredible long name, Flanbire. And it was here that Matthew started to develop something of a reputation. People at school called him a weirdo and said that his interest in horror films had led to an obsession with death. He listened to hardcore death metal music and would frequently draw shocking artwork featuring scenes of extreme violence. 
At school, he was frequently ridiculed for this. Now, of course, newspapers and prosecutors would look back on these interests in the macabre as a clear sign that Matthew was somehow demented or even evil. Though again, plenty of other teenagers enjoy those things and would never dream of committing actual violence. In fact, I remember as a child in the teenager a parent-teacher meeting when the art teacher and the English teacher told my parents that I was writing too many stories about monsters and horror and that in art every picture I drew seemed to be about a werewolf or a mad axeman taking a head off. I would never commit violence against another person. In fact, I was into those things because I found violence so scary. I wanted to have some sort of mastery over it by drawing it or writing it. Yet for Matthew, there was clearly something more going on, something beyond his parents' divorce or his morbid interests, which only got more intense when he lived in this village, because it was here that he met his victim. For a while now, I'll spend time with my family on an evening, and then I'll simply disappear into the night, blending with the shadows like a creature of darkness. And before you think, yeah, that sounds about right, Peter Laws probably is a vampire, well, no, my friend, I'll have to stop you there, because I'm simply slipping off to play the fabulous casual mobile puzzle game Best Fiends on my phone. Best Fiends is great fun and feels rewarding to play, especially when you get funky power-ups or beta level. And there are thousands of levels to pulverize. I'm on level 112, so I've still got plenty of fun ahead. It's free to download, so why not give it a try today, and you'll get to see all the unique fiends you can collect. Use them to build a customized team to defeat the enemy slugs. You can also play offline, so even a vampire could play it in their coffin. Bonus! Whether you're a vampire or not, though, Best Fiends will really get your blood pumping. So why not download your new favorite getaway, Best Fiends, for free today on the App Store or Google Play. You'll even get $5 worth of in-game rewards when you reach level 5. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. He had been delivering newspapers in the village. It was a way to make extra pocket money that he could spend on horror books or metal albums. And one of the houses he delivered to was a reasonably wealthy elderly widow called Mabel Lasham. She had lived alone in the village for about 50 years after her husband's death in the late 1950s. And Mabel Lasham was a fiercely independent woman with a keen interest in current affairs and politics. Even at 90 years old, she would do all of her own house cleaning and she would take great pride in her personal appearance, dressing smart and putting on makeup every day. She also had a love of teddy bears and she'd place them in various rooms around the house just to help remind her of things. She was known to be kind-hearted to some, but she also had a reputation for being rather harsh with others. She was an old-fashioned lady who didn't particularly like strangers, especially if they set foot near her beloved house. She could be aggressive with visitors who came around unannounced. And Matthew, as the paperboy, was at the sharp edge of her anger many times when delivering her newspaper. And her attitude towards him made him angry. And sometimes he'd retaliate by throwing her newspaper to a spot on her property that was just too far for her to reach or even find. But things never really escalated beyond that at that point. Matthew just kept on working to fuel his interest in the dark and bizarre. He started to build a collection of knives and even owned a replica of a magnum handgun. 
which he had hanging from the bedroom wall. Again, in hindsight, this sounds ominous and a red flag, but, you know, I've been to conventions where people do collect swords and replica guns as a hobby. It's not easy to tell who is doing it innocently and who might have criminal intent. Matthew eventually moved on to Manai College in Bangor, where he sought to develop his love and appreciation of art. He was a huge fan of the Mexican artist Frida Kahlo, and we'll return to her later. But what particularly drew and inspired him was that most influential Gothic creation, the vampire. He was fascinated with them, and the idea that, you know, somebody could achieve immortality by drinking blood. And the older he got, the more fixated he became. He didn't just see vampires as being fictional either. He started to become convinced that they actually existed. Indeed, he even started to conclude that this sleepy little Welsh village in which he lived would actually be the ideal place for a vampire to live and feed because there were so many elderly people here and he got it into his head that elderly people would be the perfect victims for vampires because, in his view, they would barely be missed if they died. So with this in mind, Matthew started to watch for the possible vampires in his own town, scanning the streets and gazing at neighbors and passers-by and shopkeepers, anybody who he thought may be one of the undead. Perhaps if he was to approach them, then perhaps they could make him a vampire too and allow him to join their community. And then, one day, his search was over because he had found a vampire and he knew he had to meet her. And that meeting would lead to a deeply disturbing encounter. It was while he was at college that Matthew first saw the young woman, a fellow student. And there was something about her that fascinated him. She felt different and more mysterious than everybody else. The reason, in reality, could simply have been that she was from another country, with another accent. She was an exchange student from Germany. But somewhere in Matthew's brain, he became convinced that this young woman was different for a reason. She was, he decided, a vampire just like the creatures he had read about in his books. He happened to know another exchange student called David Lamb, so Matthew asked David to introduce him to this enigmatic German girl. She started to chat with Matthew and told him her name was Anna, and she was around 16 to 17 years old. Matthew was quick to tell her about his fascination with the macabre, and she listened with interest. She too found the topics of horror and the supernatural and vampires in particular to be intriguing. Now, Anna obviously felt comfortable enough with Matthew to let the discussion continue because they headed up to her bedroom in the student house where she was living. And there they carried on discussing morbid culture. The fact that she was taking interest in such a subject was for Matthew an almost intoxicating moment of excitement. Not only had he found a girl of similar age who enjoyed this sort of talk, but her openness was for a specific reason, because she was a vampire herself, and this sense of mutual interest and confirmation of his suspicions would lead him to make a shocking demand of Anna. 
It's not clear from the records when it happened exactly. I couldn't find whether this was on their first discussion or a later one, but at some point, Matthew was in Anna's room. And he told her that he knew full well that vampires were not just in fiction, but they actually existed. And what's more, he said to her, I know that you are a vampire too. He didn't leave it there. He then started to beg her to bite his throat so that he could join her and become one of the undead. At first, Anna thought he was was kidding, but he kept saying it over and over again. Bite my neck, please. Just bite my throat. I'm begging you. Scared now, she started to back away from him, shaking her head and saying, what are you talking about? I'm not a vampire. Of course I'm not. But he kept insisting and demanding, pleading that she would bite him and make him immortal. She was terrified at Matthew's ranting and raving at her. But then it turned physical. He pushed her onto the bed and then he thrust his outstretched throat right up against her mouth, shouting for her to bite me, bite me now, make me undead. Anna was horrified and she managed to pull away from this frantic, begging Matthew. She raced to the door and rushed into the hallway of her student house, yelling for someone to come and help her. Thankfully, the landlady was there, and she heard Anna's screaming. And so did David Lamb, the other student who had introduced them. And so both of them rushed up to Anna and then found Matthew in Anna's room. And you might think that now being discovered, Matthew would have stopped acting out and maybe pretended it was just some sort of joke. But no, he carried on being delirious and he started to beg for other people to bite him too. They forced him to leave the premises, but it said it took a great deal of effort. They shut the door after him as Matthew staggered out into the street and he appeared to have lost his mind. He was raving and seeing visions of other vampires in the community. The police were quickly called. Matthew insisted that they were vampires too, saying that Anna was a vampire, that the landlady was a vampire, that the whole town was infested with them. The police tried to calm him down, assuring him that there were no such thing as vampires, but Matthew was convinced they were lying, covering their tracks and identity. And so he quickly thought of a way to prove who or what they were. If they were vampires like he believed, how could they resist fresh blood? So as the police approached, he clenched his fist and rammed it hard into his own face. The engine brought a stream of blood that started to trickle out. And so Matthew started hollering at the police to smell the blood so that they would be unable to resist it. And with this, Matthew hoped that the police would swoop on him. And maybe Anna would come rushing out, and the landlady too, and David Lamb, and all the other vampires to feed on him and make him one of them. What happened next? And how would this incident set Matthew Hardman on a hideous quest to murder and mutilate an elderly woman? We'll find out that and more in the concluding episode of this two-part Frightful. And we'll ask, how did the police catch him? And how could we possibly explain a case like this? But for now, we will leave Matthew Hardman raving about a town filled with vampires in the street. Because I'm Peter Lowes, and you've been listening to Frightful and the case 
of the teenage vampire killer of Wales. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.